If you look at the evolution of our company, you know, we started off with the podcast and really what the podcast thesis was, hey, let's get these oil and gas tech founders on. And what ended up happening was all the end users for these tech solutions were our listeners. And so you start seeing tangible value. A tech startup would come on and land a million dollar pilot with an oil and gas company. And then we parlayed that into events and started doing these energy tech nights here in Houston. We'd go get a couple of kegs of beer, we'd order some pizza, and we have some tech companies come and present. And the whole thing for us was, can we get the right people in the room and have these collisions happen? And those collisions were the catalyst for ideas, collaboration, and opportunities. Welcome to season four of Perpetual, where you'll get the hottest takes and insights on what's happening in the constantly shifting world of media and marketing. I'm Adam Ryan. Let's go. Colin, we're finally here. We've uh, we've hung out in in bars and in offices, but now it's uh, it's time for the podcast. Yeah, I think we've hung out in Austin. We've hung out in New York City. Uh, you need to come visit me down in Houston sometime so we can hang out here. I love to. I love to. Well, you are one of my favorite people in the industry to talk with. Uh, I think you come in from such a night, uh, kind of in a good way, naive perspective of you weren't a veteran. This is all new to you. And today that's my hope is to help people understand a little bit of this fresh perspective that you've taken to two old industries, both oil and gas and media and dive into those. So let's do it. Let's do it, man. Cool. Uh, so first tell everyone a little bit about what is digital wildcatters and, and what's kind of the vision that you're building towards. So what we've built at Digital Wildcatters is a community of the next generation of energy professionals. And so I grew up in the oil and gas business. I'm from a town in uh, West Texas called Midland, and it's the capital of the Permian Basin, which is the largest oil and gas play. And, you know, straight out of high school, I went out roughnecking on drilling rigs. I didn't go to university and really just kind of built up my career in the oil and gas industry over the next decade. And what I saw happening in oil and gas was you had this bimodal distribution of the workforce. You had boomers and you had millennials, and there wasn't a lot of Gen X. And the reason that there wasn't a lot of Gen X is because oil and gas had a really bad downturn in the 80s. So Gen X went to other industries. What that did was open up an opportunity for several different things. One, you started seeing a lot of new uh, software being built, you know, cloud-based software. These millennial engineers were coming into the industry and saying, man, the software is antiquated, we can build something else. So you had this budding tech ecosystem. And the problem was, is that there wasn't a community for these uh, tech startups. And so my partners, Jake and Julie and I all looked at it and we said, hey, why don't we create a podcast? And we knew that millennials had a new way to consume content. You know, they're on social media, they're listening to podcasts. And so in 2018, We started a podcast called the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, which is extremely niche and straight to the point. You know, you can guess what the podcast was about. It's about oil and gas startups. And ultimately, what we ended up building was this uh, very engaged, cult-like community of young professionals in oil and gas um, that wanted to change the the industry. And so, you know, very antiquated industry, one of the largest industries in the world, and also one of the most complex industries in the world. And all we did was build a community and mediums uh, for people to engage and connect and learn about the industry. When you all got that podcast started, it really was the the starting point of what became Digital Wildcatters like as a, as a company. But uh, when you were getting there, how much of that was, we have this shit that we want to talk about 
that we feel versus like, let's go build a company. Because I think there's a lot more people today starting what I call avocations or hobbies that maybe they don't even know what it's going to turn into versus others start with this big idea, but they start very small with what they, what, what kind of route did you take? It was definitely a project. When we started the podcast, I didn't know what would come from it. I just knew that content was the highest form of leverage. And by creating content, something good out of it um, could potentially come down the road. But, you know, I, I was listening to this podcast from Zuckerberg a while back, and I didn't realize this until I heard him say this, but he said, the best companies in the world actually start off as projects and something that you're passionate about and that you're just building for yourself. And I remember when we started the podcast in 2018, I didn't even know if there was a market for that, to be honest. But, you know, our kind of selfish reasoning was, hey, at least we can get some cool people in the room with us and we can build out our personal network. So that was kind of our bar was at minimum, we'd build out our network and so the answer is, is, you know, I, I, I had this idea that something good could come from it, but I didn't have this vision of what we're building today um, would come from a podcast at all. The authenticity, if, if you listen to your podcast, if you follow you all, uh, you and Jake on social, it just screams like, man, these guys are like oil and gas guys through and through. <laughs> uh, how, how much of that do you credit success versus how much do you think is like, the talent and the preparation that you put into your content versus like the strategy as like a media operator. Now that you've, you've kind of, you've touched on all three of those. The first time I met you, Adam, I'm going to tell a little story here. You know, you're asking all these, you know, very detailed media questions. And I was like, look, dude, I was like, I don't know anything about media. I'm just a roughneck that figured out how to podcast. <laughs> and so I definitely don't attribute any of it to being good at media. Um, you know, I think that, when we started, we really set out a thesis for our podcast. And it was if you looked at oil and gas, everything was just stuffy. You know, it was just a bunch of old boomers and suits. And really, we looked at Joe Rogan's podcast and we said, hey, let's make this more Joe Rogan-esque. If we look at the intersection of entertainment and informative content, we thought that we could win there. And so I remember people telling me that I was committing career suicide because on the podcast, you know, we're dropping F-bombs and cursing and just having a, a good time. And... I just had this deep belief that if you were genuine and authentic, that's how you could actually build up an audience. And we were right in, in that part of the thesis. And I think that a big part of it is that we do come from oil and gas. We understand these things deeply. We understand this community deeply. You know, you couldn't come into this industry from Silicon Valley or from New York City and just start creating oil and gas content. I mean, that's what resonates with people is that, that we come from the industry. And so I think that that was the most important thing um, to success. I think that our forward looking mentality to driving change was part of our success. And, you know, if I look at the media side, I joke around that, you know, we're not a great media company, but we've been really successful on social media. We've been really successful with our branding and our production of content and um, bringing a fresh look that just did not exist in this industry. So I think while, you know, we're not great on the technical aspects of media, we have been really good on knowing what type of content will sit with our, with our community and, um, executing on that. I think you're being a little hard on yourself and most importantly, what always comes through with the folks on this podcast are having success is that it all starts and ends with content. Yeah. It doesn't matter 
If you are the most savvy growth hacker, marketer, it doesn't matter if you can design the most beautiful landing pages or whatever it may be. It's that does the audience that you want to reach connect with the content that you're creating? And you all are doing that, I think, in in just a prolific way consistently, too. Uh, It's not a one-off thing. You know, the way that I've always looked at it, too, is that never set out to start a quote unquote media company. And even if you ask me today, it's like, I still wouldn't consider ourselves a media company. I've always looked at media as a means to an end. And I just believe in the power of content. You know, that's content is what I mean from being a roughneck out in the field to where I'm at today. And so I always think about any company as being content first and how you can leverage that. And, you know, what we're building today with uh, Collide, which I also, I've appreciated all your threads on Doximity lately because we take so much inspiration from Doximity and what we're building with our Collide platform. I just look at content as a way to run circles around everyone. And so I look at any company and I'm like, how can you create content and build products off of content? I look at Red Bull. I've taken so much inspiration from Red Bull lately. I was like, I don't even know when I see, you know, true ads for Red Bull, but what I do see is Red Bull's content on YouTube and all the extreme sports and things that they're doing. And so I just think it's so fascinating how in today's world you can leverage content to actually get distribution for for products and ideas for products. You said earlier that there's no better leverage point than content. Explain that to someone who's trying to kind of understand that that concept. I like looking at my personal brand. For example, I went from being a roughneck out in the field in West Texas to anytime I go out to a restaurant now in Houston, people know me. You know, I've become kind of this little, you know, I call it a class D celebrity in in oil and gas to where my man, (laughs) I can call up any company I want and get in because people know me. I go out and I run into people that I know. And even when we did our first capital raise for Digital Walkouters, the story I like to tell is had this investor on Twitter, you know, I'd sent him our deck and I was like, Hey, we're raising around the capital. And, you know, I hadn't heard from him in three weeks. And then I followed up. I was just like, Hey, did you get a chance to take a look at the deck? He's like, no, I didn't, but put me down for 200,000. That was all from building brand and authority and trust through content. And so I just look at it and I'm like, you know, for us, from a business perspective, we can get into any company that we want because uh, we have so much brand equity and the industry that people will take our phone calls um, from a personal perspective, you know, just getting um, like, you know, I think it's cool as hell that I'm on this podcast right now, you know, who would have thought, you know, five, 10 years ago that, you know, I'd be on some uh, media podcast with someone that I have a lot of respect for in the, in the media space. And so that's how I, I just think that it can be levered to build personal brands, to build personalities within companies, and then um, ultimately to build brand equity for a company. You know, you're too humble to give yourself all the credit that you deserve, but the pattern that I see repeatedly, and this goes back to your point around uh, what Zuckerberg said around projects being a great way to start the company, and and then you know you coming in and just being like, we're going to create authentic content ourselves. What that actually, in my mind, what that is, is you're saying, we're going to focus on the things that actually we think matter and we think build a brand and and people want. And like, that's what's going to inspire and be our North Star. And we're not going to get distracted by all these company shit that like you have to deal with once you start building a company. We're going to just create a foundation of things that people actually love. And yeah, that is such an advantage uh, doing that early. 
it's also a long game too, right? Like you have to, you have to think along long time horizons and also just have the ability to pivot and operate within tight feedback loops as well. I mean, if you look at the evolution of our company, you know, we started off with the podcast and really what the podcast thesis was, Hey, let's get these oil and gas tech founders on. And what ended up happening was all the end users for these tech solutions were our listeners. And so you start seeing tangible value. A tech startup would come on and land a million dollar pilot with an oil and gas company. And then we parlayed that into events and started doing these energy tech nights here in Houston. We'd go get a couple of kegs of beer, we'd order some pizza, and we'd have some tech companies come and present. And the whole thing for us was, can we get the right people in the room and have these collisions happen? And those collisions were the catalyst for ideas, collaboration, and opportunities. And so then, as you know, Adam, you know, we started growing our events business, and we've had a ton of learning lessons and doing that. But it was always just continuously iterating and listening to our community. And if you can build community, you can listen to them and they'll tell you what they want and built. And so um, for us, it was always just, you know, building things that we thought were cool and things that our community was telling us that they wanted and really just kind of trial and error, building those things and seeing what works and what doesn't. You've created, we're going to get to this, uh, you know, you've mentioned Collide, your events, you mentioned how you don't even see yourself as a media company, but like that is what a media company is and you're building one. Um, and, you know, before we get into that, I mean, like you, are, it, it is not an untold story that this industry is pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. You raised capital, you raised two million a couple of years ago. Recently, about a month ago, you announced two and a half more million. Yeah. Walk us through your thought process. You have a family. You and Jake are great yeah. friends. You, you know what you're getting into, right? Why take on this challenge that no matter what your North Star vision is, the foundation is you're kind of building a media company and then more and layers on top of that, right? Why yeah. would you do that knowing all the things? Like what inspires you to just get up in the morning and then follow up on that is like, what was the thought process around the capital race? Um, why why did yeah. you think that was the best decision for the business? Yeah, um, so pretty loaded question there. So let me break it down into <laughs> to a few parts. You know, one, we operate within oil and gas, and you know we're broader energy now too. You know, I, I'm for me, I'm a pro energy person. So I think that uh, society needs every every energy source that we need moving forward. You know, to fuel the future of AI data centers, to get us to space, etc. But the thing is, is that the oil and gas industry is fucking hated. And this is no secret. You know, um, um, you look at any of the media headlines, um, it's such a vilified industry and it's such a critical industry. You know, I made a Twitter post the other day that I found this clip of Steve Jobs talking about how the biggest technological revolution was oil and gas. And that allowed us to start working on computing and eventually getting to AI and large language models. And so... The people in this industry um, are so passionate and proud of the work that they do to provide cheap and reliable energy to the world. And then on the outside, they're getting demonized. And so I can't tell you how many messages I get on a weekly basis of people reaching out to me. Hey, thank you for all the work that you do for our industry. You know, so proud to see digital wildcatters growing. And it's like, how many companies are there out in the world where people are just messaging you, telling you, thank you for the work that you do. And so 
for me, man, I've got so mission oriented on this that I don't even uh, care about financial outcomes um, anymore because I just see that the importance of this work of one telling the story to the world of why energy and it's important and the and the role that oil and gas plays in that. And then you ask about, you know, what gets us going every day? I wake up every day thinking about how can we help energy professionals accelerate their career and how can we help companies in the space do more with less? And so for us, you know, a couple of things, we bootstrapped this company for um, a couple of years. You know, we started doing it, like I said, uh, with the podcast in 2018, started doing the events and then decided to go full time on it. In uh, February of 2020, um, we talked to some advertisers, we talked to some investors, and it sounded like we had a commercial business uh, that we could work with. And then decided to go full time, and three weeks later, COVID hits. Oil prices go to negative forty dollars. All of a sudden, there are no investors, there are no advertisers, and so we're like, "Oh shit, what are we gonna do?" But you know, I think like every media company, every media company had just this surge of engagement and growth during COVID because everyone was locked in their houses. And so we figured out, okay, hey, let's go deeper on content. So we started cranking out more podcasts. Um, and then that's when we also started developing the thesis for Collide was back in 2020. And so for us raising capital, you know, we had to raise that first round one to have the resources to do these events, to start building up our team and, you know, up until this year, you know, we still haven't been profitable. We've been investing in our growth. And this year we raised another round. Like you mentioned, we just closed uh, two and a half million uh, last month. And Congrats, had, by the way. Not easy in, these, in this environment. Yeah, definitely not easy. Um, I mean, it was brutal. It took me seven, eight months to get that deal done. And it was like pulling how many? Teeth. How many meetings? We probably had... 100 to 200 meetings um, to get a deal done. And it was, uh, it was tough. And, you know, part of that, we were two weeks away from running out of money. I mean, um, it was bad. And to make it worse, you know, discovered my dad had stage four cancer and he was on his deathbed in the hospital. And I'm out in the hospital hallways making phone calls, trying to put a deal together. And so it was tough. And, the one thing that I am proud of is that, you know, we did our first capital raise in 2021 and most companies that have raised in 2021 uh, have either gone bankrupt or they had down rounds. We were actually fortunate to have an up round. And so um, I think one of the few companies that raised in 2021 and 2023 and um, had an up round. And so proud of that. But, you know, really for us, it's just taking a lot of resources to continue growing the business and especially as we're uh, spending a lot of money in our uh, software development and things like this. And so, you know, it's interesting because I want to get to a point of profitability and being sustainable, but this also goes against, you know, your, your life cycle of a company when you're early stage and you're taking over an industry, you should be investing in growth. Like you really don't want any profit because that means that you're done growing. And so balancing those, you know, knowing, hey, when you should be all gas, no brakes. Um, but I'll, I think one of the most important things is actually identifying what the important work is. You know, we talk about this a little bit on our events business because we have built a great events business. And now we're actually looking at, okay, are some of our larger events core to our business? Should we continue doing these for uh, moving forward? We allocate a lot of resources to them and 
um, just being really honest with yourself. You know, like I'll give you an example. We have this Fuse event and we've done Fuse for two years and it's about a thousand person event. It's an awesome looking event. Awesome looking. But it's like, uh, hasn't really found product market fit like some of our other events has. And it takes a a lot of time and resources for us to put it together. And it is profitable on a gross margin basis, but we decided that we're not going to do it anymore um, because it's not core to our business. And then looking at some of our other events and it's hard decisions to make because these are things that we spend a lot of time and effort building, but there's a little bit of sunk cost fallacy there that, that you don't have to keep doing something just because you've been doing it. And when you have limited resources, you really have to hone in and, and focus on what's important. And some of that may be shedding products that you've done historically. It's amazing to hear that about from you about cutting products. Cause you know, I think the, the fluffiness of, uh, and I, I can speak to this cause I, I catch this heat uh, myself, but the companies that are building content and communities around niche audiences and then saying, hey, we're laying our own products. It's a really sexy pitch. Everybody likes it in a slide deck. And then like you get to execution and you realize it's really fucking hard. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. really fucking hard because that resource allocation and opportunity cost. It's not deciding like what shouldn't we do? Like, you know, the things you don't want to do. It's when you're doing the one thing that's probably the fourth or fifth best option, but you've done it yeah. for two years and you're like, we know this isn't the best use of our time. Yeah. It's not bad, but yeah. it's not our best use. And you got to cut those. It's hard. I think it's interesting because you brought up the point of everyone talks about building community and layering on products. Like how long has the internet been talking about that thesis? It's been like four or five years now and it makes so much sense, but it's hard to execute on that. And for us, I think it's interesting if you look at our evolution, because in our industry, the industry was conditioned for events. They understand sponsorships, they understand buying tickets. And so that's why we really gravitated towards the events. But as our revenue streams become diversified and we start monetizing through Collide and our research information products that we have on there, revenue from events becomes less important. And I really strip out the core essence of, hey, why do we do events in the first place? And the reason that we really like events is because they're great for building community. And I believe the future of these vertical professional networks are both digital elements and in real life elements. And so ultimately, I love our smaller events that aren't necessarily huge revenue drivers, but they're so valuable to the community and bringing people together. And so I'd like to not look at, oh, our big conferences and things of this nature as our revenue drivers and get away from those and focus more on our smaller events and then on the things that are important for Collide. So tell us about Collide. It's the knowledge sharing platform that you've been building I know a little bit about it because of our talks, but uh, Doximity is a company that we've talked about on this podcast before. It's, yeah. I always kind of refer to what you're building as like Doximity for energy professionals, but is it for the tech side? Is it for, you know, uh, former 19-year-old talent? Like who who is it for? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I didn't know about Doximity until I got in the middle of this capital raise. And, you know, fortunately, they're public. So I got to go, you know, rip apart their 10K. And I was like, holy shit, they built exactly what our thesis is. 
And so what Collide is, it's a vertical professional network for the energy industry. And so it has three parts. You have your forum. So think about Reddit or if you're a techie, you know, Stack Overflow for energy. Energy has the most uh, technical workforce in the world and people don't have a place to come ask questions and get answers and build their network. And so first started seeing that problem on Twitter. You'd have a production engineer for an oil and gas company ask a technical question three production engineers would come in and give really technical answers. And then two days later, that information was lost into the ether. And so it's like that information and knowledge needs to be captured. So yeah, the forum, the second part is Collide Jobs. Um, recruiting is a massive issue in this industry. Uh, companies can't find qualified talent. And then the third part is Collide Pro, which is a AI-driven content search engine uh, that we've built. And so Part of that library is digital wildcatters content. And the other part is third party content that we're bringing in from the public domain and partnerships. And essentially, um, we're using artificial intelligence to watch all of this video and audio data and index the information. So if you're a production engineer at an oil and gas company that wants to learn about methane mitigation, you don't have six hours to go listen to six podcasts about methane mitigation. You can come into our platform and type in methane mitigation and boom. It'll bring up every single video where that is mentioned. You get all of the transcripts. It's all indexed so you can find it very quickly. And so essentially we're taking this large data set and funneling it down to information that's relevant to people in their everyday workflow. And we're selling that as a subscription product to oil and gas companies and financial institutions. Is the root of that the transcripts of all the videos? And I mean, you guys have been video first for a long time. So is the root yeah. of that all the transcripts of your videos? The root of it's the transcripts, yeah. So using AI to watch all of those That's transcripts, commerce right there. That's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, dude, it's it's awesome. And you know, we've had some. Let's talk about this for a second. We've had some core assumptions in our business that have just proved out to be wrong. One of those was that we would build up this platform for energy tech companies. They would go get big, and then they'd come back and spend advertising dollars with us. And that just hasn't been the case. I mean. There's been some companies where they were two people when we knew them and now they're half a billion dollar companies and they just don't spend money on advertising. And the reason is, is because this industry is not conditioned for advertising. And so it's like hitting your head against a brick wall, trying to work with uh, companies in the space on advertising. And our, our second assumption kind of piggybacking off of that was, oh, we'll be able to help companies create content through our channels and get them distribution. And it's just been like pulling teeth. Um, you know, we've had some success with it, but not enough to uh, be a commercially viable business. But since we flipped the incentive structure to where now we have Clyde Pro and we're selling this as a information subscription product to these enterprises, now we're able to monetize from companies that actually have money, which are the oil and gas companies through a subscription. And now all of these companies want to come to us and get help with content that can be distributed through there. And so it's funny because it's the same business model. It's just packaged differently and we're able to get subscription revenue from it instead of um, just advertising revenue. So it's been don't you think that's the value? You know, you've heard me use this before, but like the newsletter sponsorship and uh, podcast sponsorship is like advertising towards attention. But like someone signs up for a subscription they're searching like that's intention, right? Like they're going to take an action off of that and you're capitalizing yeah. on that. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, we just have case study after case study where, you know, like 
Devon Energy um, and Besson Prepad, you know, that came from our platform. Devon discovered Prepad from that. And so by having the subscription product, you have this intention of where people are coming here to discover information and discover companies. And so it's just a much better model um, for us and a much uh, more sustainable and scalable model as well. So, you know, you guys are four-ish years old, but you've raised capital for a couple of years. You're about, you know, mid seven figures in revenue or so, let's just say around there, uh, maybe uh, uh, roughly, give or take. What do you think legacy media players, folks who are saying, hey, you know what, we, we have oil and gas trade publications, we have this. Why do you think Digital Wildcatters is poised to win versus those legacy players? Like, what are they doing wrong? One is community. I see a lot of people in the media space talk about community, but I think a lot of people conflate community and audience. What I mean when we have community is I can put out a post and I'll have 30, 40 people show up here at our office to to have beers. You know, it's true community that we have. And when I look at the legacy operators in oil and gas, which I mean, there's some real legacies like the the kind of the kingpin of the industry just had their 50th anniversary last month. And I look at them and one, they don't have community. Audience is dying out quite literally, (laughs) just aging out. Um, And their content just doesn't have the feel and fit of what digital wildcatters has. And I think part of that is probably also our personalities in the brand. You know, I, I always took a lot of inspiration from Barstool Sports and just having these personalities. That's what made their company what it was. And you've also seen this with some tech companies as well. You look at Elon, you know, Tesla doesn't have to do any marketing because you have a a figure like Elon. And so I think that a lot of these media companies, I don't know what the answer is for them, but they just struggle because they have these trade publications and things of that nature. But humans connect with humans and they want information from people. You know, our, one of our podcasts that we do weekly is a It's a new show. It's called BDE, Big Digital Energy. And on that show, you know, we have Mark Myers, who's a a older guy, you know, longtime engineer, was CTO of a big company, ran institutional research at a bank. And being able to bring in this gravitas of this information and have it in a digital wildcatters format where we're still clowning around and having fun with it, like it's hard for traditional media to do that because it just doesn't fit with their culture and who they are. The authenticity and personality, and I think the point around audience and content is, I think the way I always define content, or the community and audience and separator was always a community will self-organize. And that's, you know, you see that all the time, right? Your folks are saying, let's meet up, let's do this. Hey, can yeah. we do that? Audiences don't self-organize. But the yeah. other aspect that I I see through your content, it's, and I think this is one of the things that you all have done better than just about anybody is, how do you create community through content versus how do you create audience through content, right? And both can be successful and different. But the main difference that I see with that is if you're building community through content, it sparks an emotion. And like you can't read your stuff, even if you're not in the space and not feel an emotion attached to it. Yeah. The companies, especially legacy players, as you said, they're not doing community. It's because their content doesn't spark emotion. It's here's what you need to know. Here's the black and white of it. Fine. That's helpful. Like, sure, whatever. But like, I don't, it just doesn't do it for me. 
And that's what you all have honed in on so well from, from my perspective. I have a talk that I give at industry events and it's called the power of storytelling. And it starts off kind of at an industry level of talking about taking back the narrative for oil and gas. And, you know, part of that is I always make a joke at the beginning. I said, you know, why does oil and gas suck at storytelling? Because it's full of a bunch of nerds. You know, we have a bunch of geophysicists and engineers who like talking with data and facts. I said, but people don't connect with data and facts. They connect with emotion and people and storytelling. And so I think about that a lot in our content. Like I actually, if you were to ask me like, what is digital walking is really good at? It's storytelling. And we've figured out ways to do that on a company level for us. We figured out how to do it for other companies. We figured out how to do it for individuals. And so with storytelling just comes emotional connection. And I, I think that you bifurcated those, those two things really well of, of what makes a community and what makes a, what makes an audience. And, you know, I've always talked about building community through content, but I've never really been able to put my finger on how you do that because you, you can make content and still not build community. But I think that you nailed it. It's the emotional component of that and really getting people to, to connect on a deeper level. And, and, you know, to do that, you can either spend a ton of time talking to your customers and trying to learn those pain points, right? And then even still, you have to have the talent to do it. Or you can just be somebody that feels that already, right? And I think that's like the, I know you've gone through like that emotional reactions of defending your industry of saying like, this is what we believe is best. This is what's best for the world. Like, why are we being demonized? Like, that's an authentic emotional connection you have. Well, that makes it damn easy to put that into words because it's actually you, right? I yeah, think that's, yeah. that's, that's the like thing that, you know, when no matter how big or small of a company I think you are, when you think about building community, everyone just thinks it's because everyone has this relatability or something, but it's like you have to have that like authentic emotional connection. Yeah. And, you know, finding what people are passionate about too, you know, that humans are, are passionate about a lot. And so, you know, I don't care if you're a media company around pickleball. Like I know there's a lot of people that are so passionate. About there's pickleball. a good one in Austin right now. There's a really good media company in Austin about pickleball. Yeah, yeah, you know, know. It's funny that we have a HR brand at work week and I just was doing a deep dive with them about why people were buying the subscription to the, the, the membership that they have for that. And I was like, Oh, well, like how often are the discussions around like pay and, you know, reporting and all that. And I'm like, yeah, like maybe like 30%, but it's mostly around like passions, hobbies, everything. And like, that's the other aspect is like uh, emotional connection is, you know, it, it uh, allows you to find that place, but allowing them people to be themselves. Right. And I think that's the other thing that you all do well. And I've seen is no matter what type of energy sector you're in, whether you're very one way or the other, like you just kind of have this open space for open dialogue and allow people to be themselves. And that, that is actually really scary. And I think that's the, you know, long-term why I'm excited about your business and what you're building, especially compared to these legacy players is I think people are operating in fear of allowing their members and their community to be authentically themselves, even if there's disagreements. Yeah. You know, I think that's super, super important. You know, when 
that Fuse event that we were talking about earlier, the whole thesis of Fuse was to be like the South by Southwest of energy, bringing together people from all energy backgrounds. And the reason I wanted to do this at commercial scale is because, you know, we're office, we're headquartered in Houston, which is the energy capital of the world. And if you're in energy, you pass through Houston. It doesn't matter if you're oil and gas, if you're renewables, whatever. What I think about what we're building with Collide is, you know, where the value of our company really sits in the future is in this knowledge base. And so we're able to take information that happens in these conversations on our platform and index that. We take all the content that we record at DW and index that. And then we take all of this third party content, whether it's through partnerships or uh, public domain. And all of a sudden, we have a knowledge base that Microsoft doesn't have, Google doesn't have it, and you start layering over um, AI on that. And really what I want Clyde to be is if you want to find any piece of information, you want to find a subject matter expert, you want to find your next gig in energy, it happens on Collide. But at that knowledge graph in this in this knowledge base, I look at oil and gas and it's at the center. You know, oil and gas still powers 80% of the world. But yeah, these adjacent energy verticals, whether it's renewables, uh, hydrogen, geothermal, you know, carbon capture, et cetera. And all of these things are dependent on expertise and resources from oil and gas. And so for us, it's creating a culture and an environment where you can have all this cross-pollination between everyone and energy um, to share ideas and build their network. And already see this on a manual basis, you know, a company uh, out of Silicon Valley. Um, hey, we just raised a series A, we have a carbon capture technology, we need a oil and gas engineer, you know, probably 15 years in the industry familiar with the permitting process. Do you have anyone in the digital wildcatters community that fits that? And so I think just really generating this this culture and this uh, community and this platform, where people don't have to gr- agree with each other. But uh, I think what we've seen is that the forward thinking people that are in our community are curious and they want to talk and share ideas. And so all we're doing is allowing the space for that. Well, I am so grateful that you were able to come on and share uh, a little bit about Digital Wildcatters. I, a final question to you that we've been asking everybody lately is, you know, over the next five years, so we're talking almost 2029, uh, let's say. Uh, what are you most excited about for this industry? What, what do you think is going to happen over those years? Yeah, you know, I think what I'm most interested in is the evolution. And this isn't just media or this isn't just energy, but I'm interested in the evolution of the internet. And I think if you look at Web 1, it was very much static listing sites, old school forums. Web 2 was horizontal social media platforms like MySpace, Facebook, LinkedIn that brought us together. I think as we move into the next evolution of the internet, which I wish crypto didn't bastardize the term Web 3, but it, it, it's Web 3 is this idea of vertical communities um, that have both digital elements and in real life elements, uh, just like our company. And so, you know, I've advised other companies, like one is a platform for wrestlers and mixed martial artists, um, same elements, digital forum and community mixed with in real life elements. Um, I'm excited to see that because I think you're going to see all of these uh, verticals stripped off from horizontal social media platforms. And just like you talked about, there's a pickleball one. Um, I could definitely see that. And, you know, who knows how big the market is for those things or how much value they are. But um, going back to what we were talking about earlier is if there's something that you're passionate about and it's a project, you should just start working on that project and you never know what it'll turn in, into. Um, so I think that there's a big overall theme that you can play into with the next evolution of the internet and vertical. I like that one. 
that's a work week trend line for us too. So I like that one. Uh, awesome, man. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on and uh, we will have you on soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. If you want deep insight and hot takes on the world of media, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. I'll see you next time. 